0: And when I saw veterans being disrespected when they came back from that war, I determined that uh, I was going to always support the veterans, no matter what I thought politically. You know, these are are people that do their duty regardless of who's...
1: Amen. Amen. That's what we preach on this show. Hi there, and welcome in to a brand new week on Celebrity Salute. Dedicated to the men and women who serve our country in active duty, our veterans, and their families. We're here for you. God bless you. We love you. On each episode, we look for people and stories with some connection to these heroes. I'm Randy Miller. Michael Martin Murphy is a singer-songwriter best known for writing and performing Western music, country music, and popular music. A multiple Grammy nominee, Murphy has six gold albums. He's known for hit singles Wildfire, Carolina in the Pines, Long Line of Love, and many more. He's also the author of New Mexico's state ballad, The Land of Enchantment. He's a huge veteran, and military supporter. We're proud to welcome the ultimate cowboy crooner, Michael Martin Murphy, to Celebrity Salute. He is America's number one singing cowboy, and we are so happy to have Michael Martin Murphy. Murph. Uh, when you,
0: when you, when you list all that stuff, I I say, it's not, looks like it's not real, uh, it's
1: not, it can't be me. It's <laughs> That's, that sounds about like four lifetimes, doesn't it? I didn't.
0: I didn't do all that, did
1: I? <laughs> <laughs> you did all that and more. I, you know, I saw you. Uh, we're based in Kansas City, Missouri. I saw you at a little club called Knucklehead Saloon uh, a couple years ago, and was maybe one of the best concert. I've been to a bunch of concerts. One of the best shows I've ever seen.
0: Thank you. Uh, Yeah, uh, a friend of mine, I didn't have any tours planned at that time. A friend of mine was, uh, uh, not to start off on a sad note, but a friend of mine was was dying of cancer, and he lived in that area, and he couldn't travel anywhere else. So uh, I uh, decided to book myself into that little club so that I could uh, play for him, and he was only like an hour north of there. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, he was, uh, he was a cowboy buddy of mine. And uh, so he was there for the concert. And uh, that was a great experience. Knuckleheads is, it doesn't doesn't sound like a place where you, it doesn't sound like a performing arts center, but I call it Knuckleheads Performing Arts Center because it's, it's amazing the different kinds of audiences they get. Oh,
1: sometimes in the same night.
0: And they get they get uh, wonderful crowds that sit and listen to music, and they get other crowds that are just having a party and having a great time, and they have the appropriate music for that. So,
1: yeah, uh, and, and right. you were in kind of a, a smaller room that uh, that made it feel like you were performing in our living room, and well, that just that was a, I mean, it was perfect.
0: I wanted to be playing in Glenmox Glenmox living room that night. And he said so that he came down and we had a we had a concert. It was a it was a great night for me, and I got to be friends with the people at Knuckleheads, and I know I'll be back again.
1: So, so what's what's your horse experience right now? My horse. Yeah, you got how many uh, how many horses do you have, and how often do you get to ride?
0: Well, my my, my uh, daughter is a horse trainer. And uh, I'm somewhat involved in her business. Uh, we do some breeding. She's got about uh, about 15 client horses now. She does working cow horse events and cutting events. Oh, cool. And uh, that's over in Weatherford, Texas. I spent about half my year in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, and it's kind of the capital of... of horse events right west western horse events anyway they just got uh through, done with the snaffle bit futurity which used to be in reno nevada and they, they got it over there and i mean just a lot of western events are coming our way just over in arlington next door have the national finals rodeo coming right in there right this year but uh my daughter sarah and i do some uh some work on trying to get some good breeding crosses for for working cow horse and for cutting so right now uh, I'm mainly focused on a on a mare of mine that's out of my old horse the only horse I ever named wildfire her uh, registered name is, is her, her her mother was really a, uh, King King dreams of Jean she had a what they call a king number. And King was one of the foundation horses of the American Quarter Horse Society. Oh wow! Uh, so he, she has a foundation number, and uh, we just uh, bred her with a horse named Sir Longlegs. And Sir Longlegs, <laughs> is, is one of the toughest uh, oncoming great uh, horses, great great studs, and cutting horse right now. Wow! He's won hundreds of thousands of dollars in prizes. So, uh, we're trying to get a good, a good cross there. And we got a good, uh, little, uh, little rony kind of a horse, uh, red, red roan color. Sure. And, uh, the original wildfire, her mother was, uh, was a Palomino and, and, uh, Goldie, that's what we call her. She's actually, uh, called Goldina, Um uh, is, uh, she's a Palomino too, but Sir long legs has that red gene in him. Uh, so this is, it's going to be a, she's just a beautiful little filly. I'll have yeah. to send you. Oh, that's cool. Well, and- so it's mainly breeding and training and, and then putting them in, in competition. And uh, that's, that's my main focus right now. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not running any cattle right now, so I, I I moved out of that ranch I was living on in North uh, Colorado, North Colorado because it was getting so dry up there. And sure enough, that's where they had all the right, fire. Right. Colorado. I Can't believe the good Lord was with me that way because uh, I just felt like it was time to to leave there. And uh, I I felt like there's so much beetle kill in that area that that it was there was gonna be problem and sure enough I mean just, just two weeks later it just exploded. Yeah. And uh and I was completely out of there. But I'll uh, I'll get back to the cattle again. I'm looking for uh some ground in Texas now. Uh, get down here on the on the Great Prairie and when I go to the mountains in the summertime uh I'll I'll probably run some cattle up there too in the in the Red River New Mexico area where I spend most of my summers now.
1: And before I forget it, I got to tell you, my my wife is a horse trainer. And so we've always, yeah, we've always had horses. We're based uh, just outside of Kansas City, Missouri. We've got 1,900 acres of trails right across the street. And so uh, I'm sure you understand during this pandemic, you cannot get any better therapy than a horse ride. Well, it's, uh, you know,
0: I've said it several times, even in a, in a special, little public service announcement video that I did for the Texas medical association. You know, I said, Cowboys have been social distancing for over a hundred years. <laughs> That's the truth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, Hey, the other thing that is great about your music is uh, the fact that, uh, and my wife is especially uh, pleased about this. We crank it up on the trail rides. And if you get it loud enough, it keeps the turkeys uh, from, from uh, spooking the horses. So thank you for that.
0: You spook the spook the turkeys away, so the horses won't be spooked.
1: Uh. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Those <laughs> little heads pop up. They hear some Michael Martin Murphy, and then they go on. That is great. Your I love your song "Boy from the Country." That's a great song. Was that uh, early? Early in the career?
0: Yes, uh, very early. I wrote that song when I was uh, still in high school. Ah. Um, it was uh, it was based on a, on a book I read uh, that my brother gave me uh, about St. Francis. Um, and 800 years ago, St. Francis uh, decided to leave behind his wealthy life uh, as the son of a wealthy merchant. And he threw, threw all of his fine clothes down in the square and put on uh, a sackcloth and some sandals and walked off in the woods. And informed the church that, uh, you know, you could, you could understand that there is a God and you could reach God. Even if you were illiterate, all you had to do is just walk through nature and you would, you would come to that conclusion, which is why he wrote so many poems to, to nature, uh, about God and nature. And I was very inspired by his life in that book. Uh, so, uh, that, that book is eventually made into a movie called Brother, Son, Sister, Moon. And um, I was really just impressed with the life of St. Francis. I think he was the first guy to talk about uh, the sacred nature of nature. Yeah. Just the, sacred, the sacredness in nature and how we should take care of the land and how we should consider it sacred and God's gift. And... Uh, this is not, uh, by the way, some kind of of, uh, of, of sermon from the Green Party. Uh, by, <laughs> it's my uh, it's my contention that that uh, livestock people are the key to uh, of turning climate change around. I won't get into too deeply, but two thirds of the world is is grassland, plain, and uh, that grassland sequesters carbon. And if we have a carbon problem, all we have to do is put more grazing animals out there and we'll have thicker and better grass and just let them range free like wild animals. Even with inside fences, you you move them and you rotate them the way wild animals graze. And when you build up the prairies and you build up the grasslands, you sequester more carbon than you put in it. And uh, the countries where you have... Uh, a respect for the for the grazers and the and the ranch, ranchers are uh, countries that are doing really well on that sequestering of carbon because soil comes from carbon you can't have good farming if you don't have good soil and right. the grazing grazing animals are the things that make that farmland great soil so uh, I wrote a boy from the country, along the lines of about st francis but not so much for religious reasons but because of what st francis was saying was that the that the farming farming and ranching and agriculture is really the most important job in the world um I'm, i'm talking to a lot of soldiers right now so uh it's it's your job as soldiers out there to defend the land that you're soldiering for um, and the Constitution that was written uh, by the people who formed this land. And, uh, you know, they were they were planners. These were these are people right. who were great farmers and planners. Right. And uh, they built the whole Constitution around good agriculture and George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all those guys were, they understood the importance of it. And now we have a starving world. And uh, but we wonder, gosh, what's what's going wrong here? Well, we're not respecting the farmers and the ranchers. That's the reason why we have a starving world. My, my uncle, who won a Purple Heart in World War II, oh, wow. literally in, in, at Omaha Beach, actually threw down the threw down the plow in the middle of the field and got got in effect got down off of a tractor he didn't plow with mules but uh he threw down he got, got he got off of a tractor walked down and joined up at age seventeen mm. and uh he never would talk about it much uh never would talk about the Battle of Omaha beach much he just couldn't couldn't get the words out but he was a farmer. And uh, I asked him one time, why did you do it? And he said, I, I did it because my land that I own and my land that I farm is sacred. And I don't want somebody else coming here and tell me what to do on it. And, and the Constitution protects that right of me to own private property. And that's why I, and he was 17. He was underage. He lied about his age to get into the right. military, not to get out of it. You know? <laughs> right. And, yeah. And uh, he was, uh, so I was raised by people like that. I've always had that value, which is why, even though I went through the 60s, those boys from the country that became soldiers that defended our country and then went back to farming afterwards, they're they're my greatest heroes. And, I mean, it could be somebody who had some other kind of a job, too. But, you know, when you leave your farm behind, you know, you better be married to a good farm wife. You right, know, right. Fortunately, my uncle was and my aunt carried on uh, back here. But, uh, you know, when you leave behind a farm, that's that's a big sacrifice to yep. make. You know, uh, so I was uh, I was raised by men like that. And I've always been proud of of, of being raised by it. my grandfather was chief quartermaster of pearl harbor during world war ii really and it was there in the bomb during the bombing yeah and he was uh tyler texas and uh, his people came in to uh to be farmers and ranchers into texas in 1846 uh the year texas became state so you know that's my background that's why I write songs like boy from the country huh. there's something about the wisdom that comes from the country that we have never exceeded but with great mathematicians or all the all the uh, Albert Einstein's of the world and all the other sages and all the fields of technology you know you can't you can't eat computer chips but no. you can eat <laughs>
1: well, you know, that's the one thing they're not making anymore of is land, right?
0: So uh I write a lot of songs like that. That's really been that's really been the core of my career from the beginning is uh I write songs about the land. I write songs that are American songs about the land and about people defending their land from Native Americans right on through to
1: Southern Baptist farmers in Texas, like my uncle. You know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're talking to Michael Martin Murphy here, and Murph, this pandemic has not slowed you down. It doesn't seem like a bit. Uh, you're still performing. You're hosting something called the Lone Cowboy Hour, which is is basically you performing and telling stories, taking requests. At some point, it's phenomenal. I've seen uh, several of these, and I want to ask you about. Uh, the one that I just watched, I think it was the most recent one, uh, The Lone Cowboy Hour. And the song, Lone Cowboy, that you uh, dedicated that song to your dad. Um, talk to me about your dad a little bit.
0: My, uh, my dad was an accountant. And he was the son of a former rancher in East Texas. My grandfather, step-grandfather, Ed, his stepdad, and he uh, really raised him for most of his life. And uh, he understood that kids could not fully get an education about life unless they were around some farming and some ranching. So he loved us boys, came home from work. He had a nine-to-five job. He came home from work on the weekends. He picked us up and took us out to the country to my granddad's place and uh, sent us for about half the summer, sometimes the whole summer out there. Not because he wanted to get rid of us. It was hard for him to do that because he really believed that if you don't understand the country and you don't understand the land, you're not really fully a human being. I wrote a song about that called Close to the Land that was a theme song for a show called America's Heartland on PBS.
1: Oh, yeah, sure.
0: It has a line in it uh, that says, uh, there's something that the people know who make things live and make things grow deeper than the words of any sage, that unless you touch the earth, planted seeds, and given birth, the human heart can never come of age. Uh, That's that's kind of how I feel. But My dad was such a great man to do that. He also was a real believer in, uh, regardless of how many kids you have, or if you're married or have a relationship or whatever, you have to have a strong individual inner core. Uh, where you believe that no matter what happens to you, you can survive, Um, that you will survive being alone, that you can be alone and be happy within yourself. And that was my dad, and my mother totally supported that. My dad would would work for long, long hours when he uh, decided to start working at home. He worked for long hours in there by himself. He didn't want anybody to come in and bother him. And when we went out to the country, he'd take long walks out there, and he'd send us out on horse or something. He'd say, you, go, you boys, get out there by yourself and figure out who you are. <laughs> you know, you'd go out there and talk to God. You're not going to find it by being around a bunch of people who were influenced by movies yep. whatever the fads of the day are. Um, he would, he'd say, uh, you can go to church on Sunday, but when you get up on Sunday, the best thing you can do is get off by yourself with the Bible and uh, read it. And don't listen to what anybody else says at that time. Listen to what your soul says to you when you're reading that Bible. And, uh, you know, it's ironic. When my uncle passed, uh, the one who got a Purple Heart in Omaha Beach, Right. he left me. Uh, I cheer up when I talk about this, so excuse me. Maybe that's why I'm breaking up. <laughs> Maybe oh. I really am breaking up. <laughs> oh. I, I am breaking up, but he left me a, uh, a a New Testament that was standard issue by the military. Yeah. Uh, they also uh, cast out the Jewish scriptures. They would give, give away scriptures to, to different people's religions. But they, they gave him a New Testament. It had a metal jacket on it, and it was a it was scarred by bullets that he took.
1: Oh wow! In the
0: in the in the battle, he was wounded in that battle, and that's what he that's what he left me. It's my most prized possession. Oh man! Um, and that man, Lemoyne Shelton, my uncle, my dad, my grandfather. They were all guys that I would call to have the lone cowboy spirit. You got to figure out what your path is, and yeah, it's okay for other people to come along with you on that path if they fit in, but you've got to have this strong core that you can survive out there. And that's why I I think the American military is so great because the core of all military training, the deepest core. Is for you to survive and be able to survive being on your own. If you parachute into someplace or you're dropped into place, or you're in a battle or you're bombed and you're in an area and you're by yourself, what do you do to survive? That's the core of our training. And I think many other countries don't understand right. that kind of lone cowboy mentality that's so American, that it's, if if uh you don't know how to write off in the sunset on to the next job, then you haven't you haven't gotten the message that John Wayne put out about the American Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well and, and you know that helps me to understand uh about your career uh somewhat because like you talked about, you know. You're writing songs, you're, you're, you're making big hits in the 60s and 70s, and it's, it's pop music, it's folk music, it's country music, and, you know, you're rubbing elbows with some oddballs. I mean, or, or must have thought you were an oddball, you know, but, but to be able to maintain yourself, and it, you've never wavered from that in your career, but was that, was that tough
0: to do? Yeah, it was a long and lonesome trail. How uh, bad? Particularly when I left pop music and left country music and made my first cowboy songs album. Uh, that was uh, right at the end of 1989. First part of 1990. Uh, so we're celebrating a big anniversary of the cowboy songs album this year. Uh, can't can't believe it's been that long ago, but. Uh, When I made that album, my record company was against it. They said, wait a minute, We, we do call ourselves country music, but it's really not country people making this music. And I said, I know that's why I'm making the Cowboy Songs album. I want to be a person who sings country music because I was raised in the country. I'm coming from the country. I respect the country and I love the country you
1: know <laughs> and did they get that
0: uh well the the uh the uh big executives that I dealt with at the record company at the time thought I was out of my mind right they said you've had all these hits in pop music and country music and now you're gonna do a bunch of old cowboy songs and I said yeah they were good enough for my grandfather and my great grandfather they're good enough for me and <laughs> uh, and at some point, I think every artist has to confront his or her roots. Uh, so, by the way, when I say cowboy, I'm referring to a job like you would say a midshipman or something like that. Um, you know, I'm including women in that. And If you really know the women of the West, uh, like my daughter, she'll say I'm a cowboy. You know, she doesn't say I'm a cowgirl. Right. She just says. I'm a cowboy. It's, it's, a, it's a job. A cowboy is a verb, not a noun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, you know, and, uh,
0: so when I, I made that album, they just looked at me and said, We don't know why you're doing this. This is going to ruin your career. You're, you're going back to a bunch of old music that's dead. I said, No, it's not dead. Every time I sing one of these old cowboy songs in my show, I've tested it out. People go wild. Right. They, they, they used a pin up desire for it out there. Uh, at the time, I was pitching that project of all Cowboy songs to the producers of Lonesome Dove to be the soundtrack of Lonesome Dove. Oh, wow. And they accepted it, and then uh, I lost that in the final end, and they decided to just do instrumental music in the movie because a different a different producer took over. And, but I had already told coalesced this whole album, so I went ahead and put it out anyway. I'm really glad now, as much as I love the Lonesome Dove series, and uh, and as many apologies as I got from the executive producer, I-, I can't believe the main producer doesn't want to do this now. I'm sorry, Michael. I said, it's, it's okay. I've got a good album together here. Now I'm grateful that it wasn't a movie that pushed it through. It made it on the on its own terms as an album of cowboy music, yeah, with, without a, being a movie soundtrack, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was the, it was the, that was the pivotal point in my life where I finally took a stand for what I stood for and what I believed in as an artist, and that was my life growing up in Texas, being raised by ranchers and veterinarians. Or, or men and women who believed in those people as the core of our family, uh, and uh, that was a that was the best selling album I ever put out. People, thought yeah, wildfire and blue sky night thunder and those albums I put out earlier were my best selling albums. Probably wildfire is my best known song, but it's a western song. It's really a cowboy song. Right, cowboy songs album is the biggest selling album I ever had, and it's still it's still going. And, and, you know, I, I'll
1: bet you a lot of Michael Martin Murphy fans, you know, when they the, the stuff, the cowboy stuff that you're doing now, they would be astonished to find out, like I was, uh, that your first big break came with your Texas buddy, Michael Nesmith, who with the monkeys and asked you to write a song for the monkeys. And you wrote, what am I doing hanging around? And it the album sold over five million copies. I mean, you know, you take that beginning to where you are now wow that's crazy well that
0: song and john denver recording boy from the country just about a year later uh that 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 was when i first started to actually get a paycheck for being a songwriter yeah (laughs) I, i was writing songs but not really making a living i was playing playing mostly in nightclubs in bands to make a living at that time. And uh, that's how I put myself through UCLA, uh, was doing that. And I had a, a little small songwriter salary from a publishing company, but it wasn't enough to live on. Uh, but when those guys did those songs, Michael Nisman did, what am I doing hanging around? And then John Denver did boy from the country on his world tour album. That's like when I got my first paychecks for being a songwriter. And, uh, I was finally making a living. So I really owe an awful lot to Michael Nesmith and I owe a lot to the memory and legacy of John Denver. One of my, one of my great friends. Absolutely. We, uh, we didn't agree on everything. Uh, uh, John Denver, I didn't agree on everything. He was kind of a pacifist and, uh, I could never bring myself to do that, even though I was going through the 60s and I wasn't real sure about the Vietnam War. I could never disrespect the veterans uh, because of my family. Right. And and when I saw veterans being disrespected when they came back from that war, I determined that uh, I was going to always support the veterans, no matter what I thought politically. You know, these are these are people that do their duty regardless of who's.
1: Amen, yeah. amen.
0: Yeah. That,
1: that's why we. That's that's what we preach on this show. Is we don't care where you stand politically, we don't care what you think of any administration, um, but we can all agree to support the troops. We we have to all agree to support the troops because they. A lot of times, I mean, especially when they're serving, they don't have a choice, and so we have to agree to support them. And and you are doing something so great, Murph with uh, the taps program. And when I, when I found out about this, I mean, now it makes all the sense in the world, but um, the taps organization is one that we've had on the show before uh tragedy assistance program for survivors. What a great organization. How did you get involved with them? And uh, how long have you been doing that?
0: Uh, I was living in Colorado uh, at the time on the ranch of a guy named Dean Singleton and Dean Singleton, uh, that's the one I just recently left. But, uh, um, a lot of that, a lot of his ranches burned in that, those fires, but mm. he, Dean Singleton owned the Denver post at the time. And, uh, he called me up actually through his assistant who happened to be his sister, Pat Robinson. And she said, uh, We're doing a golf tournament and a fundraiser with country music for an organization called TAPS. And uh, would you be willing to come down and play on it? And uh, I didn't even know the organization existed at the time. And I I realized I was getting involved in one of the most important organizations because here's an organization that takes care of the families of the people who lost their lives. Right. Uh, And, you know, the people that made the ultimate sacrifice looking down would say that's the most essential thing we can do. Absolutely. Support those families. And, uh, but I don't want to sound too tragic about it all because it was a very uplifting experience. Uh, I met a lot of people who had been taken out of total grief and almost suicidal kind of thoughts had been completely lifted out of that by knowing that people supported them and the, these families. And, uh, and they were able to move on and still honor, you know, the person that was, that was killed and uh, in battle or lost their lives in the military. Uh, it was a very uplifting experience, if if you can imagine that. We had a great time doing it, and so I've continued to do that kind of thing for TAPS now for quite a few years. Uh, also, wounded warriors, which is pretty close to the same thing. Oh yeah. And uh, uh, there's not very much I brag about in my life, but I'm going to brag about this. I was made an honorary member uh, of. Fort, uh, Fort
1: Carson you know and my, my uncle would have been you know Oh man, first of all your uncle and and your grandfather, everybody in your family should be proud of what you have done for the military and for, for veterans and man I, I just I have to thank you uh, Murph for, for your heart for veterans because you understand how much it means to them and that's what makes it so special and when these families uh see you perform and I read something on your Instagram that you wrote about taps that was so eloquent uh, I I just want to thank you so much for doing that
0: well uh you know taps will go on uh and and continue to be a great organization and uh, I I've just been proud to be associated with it and it's the one thing, I won't brag about other awards and stuff, but I will always swell with pride that the commander at Fort Carson made me an honorary member.
1: Wow, that is, incre- that is incredible.
0: Those, it, are those regiments that are at Fort Carson.
1: You know, uh, it, uh, and I mentioned to you that I, I've seen you perform, and you just have some kind of a very unique connection to your audience. Can you kind of explain that a little bit or how you feel about that? Because to me, watching you connect with your audience is unlike any other performer I've ever seen.
0: Um, you know, part of that's a little bit mystical. I think uh, part of that can't be put into words. Yeah. All I can say is uh, if you love people, they'll love you back. Yeah. When it, when Whenever I write a song, I'm trying to love. I'm trying to love people. I'm not talking about in terms of r- romantic love songs. Right. I'm talking about a love of the human race and sharing what we all go through, and uh, and it's all about it's all about that. I can't believe, and I'm not going to name any names, but I can't believe how many entertainers I've met who got into the business just because they wanted to be famous and they wanted to make money and be famous entertainers. But in fact, they really don't like people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've had some of them on the show.
0: I just don't understand that. I don't understand it. I, I, I just can't, that's not anywhere in my wheelhouse. I can't, I can't believe that you could be an entertainer and not love people. And uh, I write my songs about people. I write my songs about real people. Right. Uh, I wrote a song called "My Country Under God." Yeah, I wrote, and I wrote it for my uncle uh, because uh, that was his thing. He said, I, "I felt." I said, "Why did you do it?" He said, "Well, because God called me to do it, son. God called me to do it. Wow. My, our country is under God. You know uh, that we swear to we swear to an oath." under God to defend the Constitution. We don't swear to defend a piece of land or a chunk of territory somewhere. We swear to defend a set of ideas that were given to us by God. So that's why I wrote that song. Um, I, I wrote that because I love my uncle and I love the other people in, my, in our family who, who served and were dedicated. And and, and something that we're not in the military, but we're just as patriotic. Um, and I just that's that's all that's the only words I can put toward it is if you love people they'll love you back, you don't have to worry about being uh, uh getting an audience reaction, doing something to get an audience reaction if you're if you're in it for that, you're not gonna get a good reaction to mm-hmm. the audience but if they, if they feel you loving them through what you're writing and what you're singing, you're singing it because. You love them. They're going to love you back.
1: Well, that authenticity just shines through. We're talking to Michael Martin Murphy here in the National Defense. And, Murph, we're going to play that song when we conclude the interview, My Country Under God, as well as a version of Wildfire that I had not heard uh, that you recorded with Amy Grant. It's beautiful.
0: Thank you. I, uh, I recorded that with Amy Grant because when I first met her at the CMA Awards, years ago uh she really hadn't done that much with country music she was a christian artist right she she was uh she came to be on that show for i don't even remember the reason why uh she lived in nashville uh a lot of her career before she I and mean, she's really never d- released an album that was outright country uh but she came up to me and said you know i my favorite song uh in high school." was wildfire and uh i said uh well i'd like to do a duet with you on that song someday well that was many many years ago and finally when i did the the alleys of austin austinology album about the, the music that i made when i first moved to austin that part of my career uh i I remade a lot of the songs that i released on albums at that time and put it all into one album and one of the songs i remade was wildfire and i called up amy and uh, she said yeah let's do it now and uh so she came over and sang on the song and uh she put something spiritual into it yeah that i think we both share and that is uh you know, as a cowboy, one thing that has always made the hair stand up on the back of my neck, as a Christian and as a cowboy, uh, what makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck is if you read the book of Revelation, it says when Jesus comes back, he's going to be riding a white
1: horse. <laughs> yep, yep.
0: And, uh, you know, that means there's going to be horses in heaven.
1: That's right. Oh, <laughs> listen, my wife and I talk about that all the time. <laughs>
0: And uh, so I think Amy saw that in that song, and and saw that it, it was it was it is in fact kind of a Christian song. It's symbolic of of that return, that coming back to save somebody. And uh, the song, other than that, is is very mystical. I don't totally understand the song. Um, I never have completely. Understand. I dreamed it. I dreamed that song. <laughs> Many years ago, I woke up from a dream and wrote down everything that I had dreamed, and that became that song.
1: Um, I have to tell you something right now, because uh, uh, the hairs on the back of my neck are standing up. This is this is going to sound crazy and weird, maybe. But uh, I said a prayer uh, before we did this interview, because I wrote a song about a year ago called Heavenly Horses. And the way that this song came to me was exactly how you described wildfire coming to you. And as soon as I woke up and wrote the words down, uh, I thought of you. And I thought, there there probably could be nobody on planet Earth that could sing this song than you. So we had it recorded by a local band in Kansas City called Outlaw Jim and the Whiskey Benders. But in my in, in my prayer... I said, Lord, if I'm, if I'm supposed to bring this up, give me a chance to bring this up. And of course he did, but I want to, I want to send you this song.
0: You better send me that song or I'm coming after you.
1: I want to send you this song (laughs) because I'm telling you, man, that's, uh, that's just God in action again.
0: It's interesting that we, that we have that same kind of vision. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, this legend of a of a horse being kind of a ghost horse that saves people from hard times goes way back in the West. It was around as early as Washington Irving uh, going out on uh, in this is pre Civil War, Washington right? Irving. I wrote about the ghost horse of the plains, which he claimed to have seen when he took his first trip out west. And uh, there's lots of accounts out there. Now, I didn't—I had heard the story through my grandfather because he was a great storyteller. But I heard it when I was a little kid, and when I dreamed it, I don't think I—I I know I didn't remember that he had told me that story. Well, then my mother reminded me later after Wildfire came out, my grandfather had told me that is one of his favorite ghost stories, <laughs> and uh, so uh, these things go deep in your mind. Yeah, come back a different way, you know. And also, you know, being raised the way I was in terms of of uh, Christian beliefs, you know that that part of Revelation was a big deal in our family, uh, and so that it all just uh, was boiling around in there and. And uh, came out, and I'm still trying to totally figure out what the song means. I think your best songs are songs that you don't really totally understand. Right, right. Your best song are your best songs are the are the most dreamlike songs.
1: Oh, I, I totally agree. I, we we go to a, a cowboy church, and uh, our pastor at the time, Frank Slaughter, wonderful, wonderful man. Um, I took the song to him, and he he sings and plays, and asked if he could uh, sing it. At uh, the next uh, church meeting, and he did, and it was—I uh, mean, it's been included. Maybe not every Sunday, but it's—it's—it's—it's uh, it's a, it's a, it's a song that I want you to hear for sure. And
0: uh, as we, uh, way, uh, you know, the difference between—do uh, you know what the difference is between a Baptist church in the city and a cowboy church?
1: What? <laughs> what?
0: Uh, Cowboy Church, uh, has a roping arena instead
1: of a bowling alley for a sports program. <laughs> well, we used, we used to go on these, we used to go on these rides, these long rides in the Flint Hills of Kansas, and they would always have church on Sundays. And it was always a, a pastor from a Cowboy Church. And we thought this is the most real experience we've ever had in our lives. And so when we moved out to where we are now, they planted a Cowboy Church about ten minutes from us, and it's just been amazing but Murph i I cannot thank you enough for taking the time today and as we celebrate Veterans Day this week, what message would you send to the deployed military the the veterans, and their families?
0: Well, that's a tall order
1: <laughs> it but, it is, and you've said some great uh, things
0: right off right off the top of my head, I would say thank you for being willing to go through hell for the sake of getting us all to heaven.
1: Oh, wow. There's a song.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just want to, I just want to thank everybody in the military out there for being willing to go through hell. So the rest of us and them can get, get to heaven.
1: Or if you're the best, man. It's such a such a treat to talk to you. And listen, All right. you, you and your family stay safe. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Celebrity Salute. Celebrity Salute is produced by Brainstorm Media and distributed by National Defense Network with host Randy Miller and executive produced by Nate Heron. Be sure to visit us at nationaldefensenetwork.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also say, Alexa, play the National Defense Network podcast.
0: dark flat land she rides on a pony she named wildfire (laughs) i <laughs> By the dark of the moon I played But there came an early snow There's been a hoot owl howling outside my window now